Johnny Wang brings us widows with guns. My name is Kenny B, with me is Tom KW, and this is the Director Series 38 on Widow Warriors. And welcome back to the director series on Johnny Wang trucking along a uh, sparse but still uh, interesting filmography. It's ne nearly done here. I think we're uh, three movies uh, to go, including this one. So here we are with uh, Widow Warriors. We, we thought like, uh, oh, the category three movie is going to be at the end of the coverage, Escape from Brothel. But no. This is the category three movie. Uh, well, not the category three movie. It is a category three movie. So uh, we'll discuss uh, what kind of foul, vile, filthy content uh, Johnny Wang has for us, installed for us in Widow Warriors. Or perhaps there's no such content and maybe it's just a tiny, tiny bit too bloody for the general public. So uh, you got to be 18 uh, to, to watch this. We'll, uh, we'll see. Do you think he got fouler as his career progressed? It's not been samey from each and every movie, but um, certainly it didn't start mild in terms of violence. It was pretty violent from the get-go, so it's just True. been violence upon violence upon violence. It's some, some change up in style, and in for this movie, he puts the women at the forefront uh, because it's widows with guns, so that's certainly an angle. Uh, so so I, I think it was pretty hardcore uh, from the get-go, let's just say <laughs> From the get-go, <laughs> straight out of the womb. Like like uh, Hong Kong Godfather, this man is dangerous uh, type of uh, graphic content um, in the, back in 1985, and here we are in 1990. You're right, mate, you're right. So, uh, But yeah, he, he had not uh, received a Category 3 rating for any of his previous uh, films, and I don't think anyone would have been retroactively reclassified as free not even hong kong godfather for all his bloodshed it's uh you know it's it's not um as uh hardcore as a, as the moment in this film that i think earned it's mm. uh, 18 plus rating but uh we'll get to that so let's do some plugging i'll leave it to you tom kw i mean we're early 2023 20, now the log logs has not uh, shut its doors obviously so how's it going over there in the beer, beer review land We've came close. Do, do you really want me to go first? Are you sure? I mean, you've got all these lovely other things to, to go through. Nah, you, you'll go first, yeah, because the log locks are special, damn it. Straight into the deep end. I don't think, you know, most of the fans would agree. But, um, yeah, still going strong. YouTube is kind of where we're, we're concentrating at the moment. We've got videos, more videos after those videos. Um, and yeah, just having a darn good time over there. The podcast is kind of on hiatus at the moment while we're going through some video ideas that, that, that we have. Yeah, just, just kind of the same as it's ever been, really, just having a good time. But we've no, we've just got into crisps now. So the, the beers, that's over. Crisp reviews from now on over at the, the crisp vlogs. Uh, check it out. Should be very interesting. The crispy critters. There you go. You heard it here, here folks. Trademark in. <laughs> copyright cap. you're gonna have to pay me for that name now uh well good to hear it uh you're it's a very um 
uh, is a very neat idea and uh, certainly you guys are uh, evolving that uh, brand still has become your documentary and then you're working behind the scenes uh, going typey typey to make sure the facts are straight and correct on the show and uh, that's how you how you collide uh, as creative partners in the end i think i think it's wise that he is in charge of uh, the gopro i don't want you to have the responsibilities of uh, the gopro i don't think that's uh, a wise decision so that that's why Stu is, is the documentarian i think you might be right but watch your space you never know Stu might get a bit tired from holding it you know a bit of wrist strain uh, in the near future so yeah, it's quite amazing, isn't it? Those things are like 2K or whatever, and they weigh about minus 50 grams. <laughs> they literally float through that light. Technology. Uh, a little uh, linky link to where people can find you, please. The loglogs.com is the main website, but check out at the loglogs on Instagram. That's kind of where the party normally is at. Same on YouTube, uh, a little bit on Twitter. I'm sure there's a Facebook too that Stu has created so everywhere you know you find your social media um we're going to be there just staring at you right in the eyes right in the eyes i think you know eye contact's very important in the podcasting world well uh, they are staring back uh, that's for sure you, you have an audience so continue building on that and uh, in the meantime for all your podcast on fine network needs including the back catalog of the director series i've heard some very nice things uh, uh, in uh, private, not necessarily in the comments about this particular series that people are really enjoy the Johnny Wang retrospective. So that's a good. Oh, that's good. That's good. Motivator. Um, not all films necessarily have uh, been watched by the entire action populace. You know what I mean? Like Hong Kong Godfather is a sort of constant. People have seen that, but I don't think there are extensive continual threads on bloody brotherhood out there and uh, so that's a nice thing to sort of put out in the world which we did in the prior episode and city warriors is certainly a very obscure film even for johnny wang uh, standards mm. so uh, the chats are working is my point so check out our prior chats in on the website uh, we also have shows on uh, our hong kong movies japanese movies korean movies lazy movies and uh, all of that uh, and we can be reached on uh, facebook our discussion group is called podcast on fire net Network. Uh, we're available on Twitter, Podcast on Fire, same over there, as well as on Instagram. It's also a podcast on fire. And uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and wherever you find podcasts, uh, such as uh, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you prefer. So thank you very much. And uh, we are going to get into it. The only movie for this episode is Widow Warriors from 1990, a career of Johnny Wang's that started in 1985. I've been uh, been churning out a couple of movies since then. And here we are in a new uh, in, a, in a new year, uh, 1990, as uh, and the 80s has uh, uh, done its thing. And uh, now it's 1990 for Johnny Wang and uh, he's doing a Widows with Guns Film. And what is it about? Well, here we go. Plot from Letterboxd. The male in a tried family are betrayed and gunned down by a rival gang and the women in the family, from the matriarch to the youngest, decide that rather than sit around and mourn their men, they will extract revenge. And uh, I've, obviously we'll, we'll do the, the views on all of that, but I find that setup very alluring. It's not mm. difficult, it's not necessarily original, I just find it very, very neat that... Uh, it's uh, they they sort of reverse expectations of a of a tried family and put all the women in front because of uh, a massive massacre. Definitely, and especially when you've got such a, an impressive cast of of leading men, 
then they don't make it. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> to you, the other like side. you think, like, oh, Michael Chan, and yeah. oh, oh my God, Philip Chan, and uh, nah, not for long. <laughs> so, so it's very interesting indeed. We'll get to the film. Uh, since we recorded the first director series on Johnny Wang, um, where we did a biography based on the info I could find, uh, 88 Films released a Blu-ray of uh, Lau Garlung's Shaw Brothers classic uh, Marshall Club, starring uh, Gordon Liu in his uh, second appearance as Wong Fei Hong. The first was in Challenge of the Masters. And uh, that disc featured a new interview uh, with uh, Johnny Wang, uh, who appears in Marshall Club in uh, one of his best performances uh, as the villain of the piece. But it's it's quite multi-layered, to be honest. It's not as clear-cut as that when you watch the film. Uh, but... Uh, he talked mainly of his career at Shaw Brothers rather than his directorial work in that new interview because it was for a Marshall Club DVD. But we didn't have any personal anecdotes from the man really in the biography. So I thought I'd expand on a Johnny Wang biography with some notes from the man himself and his career. So as he entered the film industry, um, he had a background already in martial arts in karate. And he had achieved third Dan Black Belt in that uh, art uh, uh, but was a newcomer, obviously, to the film industry, as uh, and that happened at the time when Chang Che, director Chang Che of one of one on swordsman fame, he made films in Taiwan in the seventies, and the background to that subsidiary of Shaw Brothers was that Shaw Brothers had money tied up in Taiwan, so they asked Chang Che to set up uh, it's the Chang's Film Co, and they were gonna make films using that tied up money and extract it that way so that's why i had all those alexander fusheng shaolin films heroes 2 men from the monastery and so forth and uh, another film uh, in that uh, run was shaolin martial arts and that's where johnny wang comes in because that was his debut film for chang che and it's one of the best taiwanese joints if you will uh, shaolin martial arts it's from 1974 and uh, him and uh, it might have been the first appearance of lung Gaian as well Bedi. And they, ah. they, they made a formidable uh, uh, duo as villains in uh, Shaolin martial arts. Uh, Chang Chi as a director didn't necessarily light the box office on fire by that point in the 70s. Uh, but uh, across the various territories, as opposed to different markets, uh, the Shaolin films, uh, you know, the Qing Dynasty films and the Rebe- Rebellion and all of that, they could drum up business to a degree, though. So that's why you had uh, quite a few of these. Uh, Johnny attributes the lack of Hong Kong audiences like attending to a few factors in the 70s like increased living costs and ticket prices were going up uh, so tastes didn't change necessarily there, there was still like a little bit of a craving for Kung Fu but uh, you'd have to weigh uh, weigh factors in your personal uh, personal finance and economy I suppose they, they, they just couldn't afford going out as much to the film to the films and all of that so uh, he also talks of Hong Kong people had uh, general aspirations to go into film. Like uh, Shaw Brothers seems like a lucrative thing to get into. So people trained in Kung Fu and they they hope to get a shot uh, that way by applying themselves and getting a foundation. But Johnny says, all that's good. But uh, you catch a break through luck and opportunities being at the right place at the right time. So it's not enough to just queue up outside of Shaw Brothers uh, as, a, an, as an expert in martial arts or anything. Yeah, so even if you're great, it doesn't mean uh, you'll get in or even excel at film fighting, because obviously it's diff- different. Uh, but anyway, uh, Johnny did get his chance, and he credits uh, Chang Che for molding him, and um, that uh, and, and Johnny also loved performing in uh, fight scenes. So this is his quote, his, his very funny quote. Some people are, addic- are addicted to acting. 
I love fight scenes. <laughs> That's very honest because uh, the, you know even though he uh, was uh, typecast as a villain, he did feel really good about that. He felt he was good at that and employable because of it. That's awesome. Uh, m- many people were striving to be a lead actor, but he felt content at uh, you know taking the uh, taking aim at the role of a villain. Yeah, yeah. But he's also quick to say, and he's not the first person to say this in retrospect, quote, Shaw Brothers treated their actors horribly. Um, he singled out uh, like people at the top, especially people at the top at that time, like Mona Fong, which was uh, Run Run Shaw's mistress, I believe, who got an increasingly important role in the company. Uh, his quote, she treated money as, it, as like it uh, was from her pocket, i.e. she was stingy. Uh, and you have heard stories of uh, the director of King Box, a Korean director. He left Shaw Brothers because Mona Fong cut uh, budget for costumes and uh, props to an, a, a ridiculously low amount. And he's like, I can't work this way. What the hell? Who's she? Who's she to just mm. cut, 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 cut uh, uh, budgets uh, left or right? So he left uh, because of uh, he hated how uh, he was treated and how she treated film productions. Um, and and her aim as uh, as the seventies went on was to cut spending, but that that created ripples in the employees. I mean, the employees at Shaw Brothers, the actors uh, living in the dorms and what have you, they felt they gave it their all, but they weren't paid well enough or treated very well. And like even big stars like T. Long, who you know he was working at a salary that you would consider to be below market level. And uh, Johnny cites an example, sort of for context, that quote. Uh, Tilong could get 500,000 Hong Kong dollars um, outside of Shaw Brothers to work in a film outside of Shaw Brothers, but only 200,000 for a film at mm. Shaw Brothers. So no, it's it's a difficult thing, uh, even though you're you're a breakout star like Tilong. Um, so uh, as a newcomer, the, this wasn't evident to him necessarily, but uh, he didn't have these reference points. Uh, but uh, you get educated along the way, is Johnny Wang's point. So that's why he noticed in retrospect, the rights and wrongs and what's fair and what's not about how Shaw Brothers treated their actors and what they paid them and so forth. So it's um, I've heard enough stories of how Shaw Brothers treated their actors. I don't think it's him uh, trying to um, be controversial for the sake of it. And um, certainly it doesn't sound like he made up stuff. That was his chang period. And uh, then he went into business, so to say, with the, with director Lao Galong. And uh, he was uh, once uh, chang chief action director until until the mid-70s. And then Lao Galong split and uh, pursued his own uh, directorial career. He did uh, obviously interact with Johnny Wang earlier, a few years earlier, because uh, Lao Galong was tasked with training uh, the newcomers, along with his co-action director Tang Chia. And Johnny Wang felt like uh, he made an impression on uh, on Lao Galang, and then he would later join his uh, team as uh, Lao Galang was breaking out as director by the mid-70s, making Spiritual Boxer, uh, Challenge of the, the Masters, uh, 36 Chamber of Shaolin, and so forth. Uh, more, they, 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 this happened more prominently towards the end of the decade, though, in terms of Johnny Wang's uh, continual appearance in Lao Galang films. Uh, and he, he felt like Lao Galang made films that were more to his liking, personally. Johnny Wang felt his films were more compatible with him, rather than... Um, he, he, he didn't feel Chang Chia's movies were fully compatible with him. He saw something more Kung Fu-focused which made for a better fit for Johnny's uh, Kung Fu preferences. And he certainly got to be playful in films like Dirty Ho, where he's in that scene where 
there it, it's a courteous scene of uh, drinking together and uh, and uh, being courteous towards each other but the scene is actually about you know fending off your opponents and being sne- you know doing sneaky attacks under the table over the table while it looks courteous from the outside or just um, uh, drinking with each other you know serving tea to each other and that that, that was the sort of playful kung fu focus that Lao Garland could provide in uh, in his films even if it wasn't realistic uh, kung fu so it's quite delightful um, the way that those things happen in his uh, films uh, Lao Garland was uh, even a director who would uh, he, he wouldn't use editing to create a fast fight he plays that demand on his fighters you gotta be good to work with the master talking of martial club again uh, uh, he was the opponent of Wang Fei Hong, but f- not a thoroughly bad guy. And he's very thankful to Lao Galong uh, for that role and for it suited him playing a northern martial artist uh, manipulated by villains. Only realizing later Wang Fei Hong was a good character. It's not revolutionary, but if you ever see Martial Club, and if you have, and even if you have seen Martial Club, it really holds up. That for once it's not a <laughs> your kung fu is useless type of role. Uh, he um, and he communicates that well that he's uh, concerned that uh, something is not right here and not clunky either um, because Lao Galang was an actual very complete filmmaker in my opinion. It wasn't just you know boring outside stuff in between the kung fu scenes. So you know what I mean? Like there there was, there was um, like, like like what Heroes of the East. And that uh, Chinese versus Japan setup, and realize that it's very nuanced. Classic. Uh, there is one drop of blood in Heroes of the East, because it's not about that at all, and uh, all the better for it. Um, when he appeared in Martial Club, he realized also that uh, as far as Lao Galang was on on the martial arts, you were kind of on your own in terms of acting. Uh, Lao Galang didn't coach actors that much in Johnny's experience, uh, but uh, that that still made for for nuance of sorts uh, and northern style as i mentioned uh, the character's uh, style was that wasn't his either so lao galang had to push uh, johnny wang physically and stuff like putting his leg up against a wall required a double you know he wasn't that agile uh, so johnny said maybe ballet dancer can do that but i'm not limber enough to do that <laughs> uh, he also highlights back then shots were in- extremely complex in terms of moves and he had to do as many as 50 per shot sometimes like imagine you're Yikes. getting 49 right and you fuck up at the, at the 50th <laughs> because that Lao La- garland would notice that no that's not of right Th- you might think you're you're on point but you're not but do it again <laughs> fucker <laughs> <laughs> said those exact words exactly but uh, it, wor- it, wor- it worked out in the end product so that's uh, for sure on the finale of martial club in that increasingly narrow alleyway it's a classic kung fu finale it uh, it created ripples to a point where donnie yen wanted to revisit that that idea with or or versus uh, Johnny Wang in an actual film, but uh, that never happened. So um, they, they were kind of discussing it to see if he wanted to contribute creatively. Uh, but it sort of happened apparently uh, in an attempt to recreate the scene. Um, uh, and, and and according to Johnny, Donny did actually revisit a version of this scene for the film The Lost Bladesman, uh, which featured uh, a fight with a huge blade in 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 an alley. But without being mean, Johnny felt there wasn't the same feeling or sensation in that recent update uh, versus Marshall Club. So, quote again, without Lau Garland's mindset, it isn't the same. So, uh, you know, people who have seen The Lost Bladesman might uh, not have 
even acknowledge that oh it's riffing on martial club it's it, it might feel like it's very own fight scene i don't know i don't know expectedly going back to martial club again it was tough fighting in that cramped space and elbows got bumped knuckles broken etc and it required at least 10 days uh, in estimation to to do that fight as most end fights did but you couldn't get much done every day because you had long demanding takes they were physically hard on the actors so expect expectedly that work was slow and even him and Gordon Liu had to take a few days, uh, a few days break at points because it was so demanding physically. So, I believe it. I believe it. Uh, so I'm glad that Short Rose gave Lao Garland time to get that stuff right, uh, even if they were stingy. The heart was in the right place. <laughs> I mean, maybe Lao Garland had uh, a little bit more clout to say that. Uh, no, I, I need, I need ten days, not eight. I need ten. Uh, also worth checking out on the set Blu-ray is uh, the joint and brand new interview with uh, action directors Hong San Nam and Tony Tam. Uh, they were both stuntmen at Shaw Brothers and would collaborate multiple times with Johnny Wang on the films uh, he directed, whether together or solo. And uh, they're not the action directors on Widow Warriors, that's Johnny Wang himself and uh, former Venom's actor Sun Chen. But uh, they do pop up uh, before this film and subsequently. So on to Widow Warriors then, the little there is out there about it. Uh, although rated category 3, meaning you would have to be 18 or older to re- uh, to watch it, and female-centric, it's not set up as softcore porn or anything, yeah, but it's a female-led revenge piece as the males of the crime fa- of a crime family are wiped out and the widows lead the charge from, from that point. And as Tom alluded to, despite the talented cast of Tian uh, Niu, Carol Hoy, Elizabeth Lee, etc., there was no particular lore to this in the eyes of the audience, uh, who again had to be older to watch this though. And the film only earned 2.6 million Hong Kong dollars uh, during the six-day run in October of 1990. Which is decent for six days, but clearly it must have been slowing down at some point and uh, they removed it from screenings uh, to, rep- to be replaced by something else. Uh, it was a fabulous year though, box office-wise, for Stephen Chow, who in his breakout year had three films in the top ten. Uh, the number one spot... In the form of All for the Winner, earning 41 million. God of Gamblers 2, along with Andy Lau. Not to be confused with God of Gamblers Return. That was number 2. And When Fortune Smiles, which is one of the Stephen Chow films I haven't seen. They made the list, those three films. Movies like The Fun, The Luck and The Tycoon, Front Page, starring the Hoi Brothers, A Terracotta Warrior, A Chinese Ghost Story 2, and Her Fatal Ways also earned spots in the top 10. And finally, at the Hong Kong Film Awards, Wong Kar Wai's Days of Being Wild was named Best Film, he was named Best Director, Best Actor was Leslie Cheung, and Carol Cheng won Best Actress for her performance in her fatal ways and ching su dong had three nominations for best action design which he won for his work on swordsman (laughs) (laughs) they they voted for me thank god would have been kind of kind of embarrassing (laughs) i think like a chinese ghost story 2 might have been another nomination uh, possibly but yeah he won he won for swordsman so let's get on to Widow Warriors then, and uh, let's um, let's have you share a short opinion of this um, female-centric Johnny Wang uh, gangster film. I, I had fun with it. I, I wasn't expecting a Girls with Guns film, but it was refreshing to see Johnny dabble in somewhat different territory. Somewhat different territory. <laughs> yeah, he, he's not reinventing <laughs> himself um, here. Um, I mean, there, there is this 
sort of fairly admirable aura of uh, Johnny Wang wanting to be a little bit of a complete filmmaker. He likes to t- he wants to tell a little bit of a story here. There's not a ton of it. There's not a ton of character, but it, because it's all a springboard for dark violence and action. But I think he he's dedicated to setting it up, uh, making it tense, uh, establishing revenge and bloody violence with distinct characters. Hopefully, distinct characters. Certainly, again, the the the, the versatile female cost is uh, is an alluring thing and there are no insecure sidetracks to bump it to 90 minutes uh, for this viewing I thought he showed discomfort in narrative and action even if it isn't revolutionary and uh, it's a nice reversal or reversal of the male dominated tribe picture there, there might be tons out there I'm forgetting that I should remember offhand but uh, I, I don't so and and also in terms of violence uh, it's it's very solid some sloppy action I'm, I'll get to that but very solid and uh, you know it's widows with guns and I, I like the setup as I alluded to earlier and it's not girls with guns in terms of oh it's like just like every other Moon Lee movie it really isn't uh, Angel was a spy flick yeah, really and some of her films were they were not uh, try pictures of this kind so Widow Warriors doesn't come off as trying to be a Moon Lee movie but you can't have Moon Lee so, um, so, it's, so it feels rather likeable the way it conducts its business and uh, again I can't think of many films that set up the male gangster head heads these movers and shakers you know the genre guys and then they're gone I know Sekin and Michael Chan and Philip Chan and Ken Lowe and they just disappear so it was interesting I kind of saw what was happening from the first half hour and and you remember what it's called, and I kind of thought, okay, I wonder how they're, they're going to do this, but I thought there was going to be at least some of those guys hanging around for the back end, or at least for the action finale, but... I mean, they're not like leads in terms of like a giant that Randy Lau, so it's a complete rug pull or anything. It can happen, but... But there have been leads in previous uh, Johnny films, and I thought that would be the same here. And and I, I like that... Uh... The, the widows uh, obviously they, they come to the conclusion that they need to avenge and prove their worth and they're, they're certainly not helpless they're not uh, timid little uh, uh, little flower petals or anything they are they understand the world that they're in so they yeah. are able once they have this um, ambition motivation to uh, to do to to do what's right and i mean hong kong cinema had its eras where the go-to preferred action hero was a woman either playing a man or playing a playing a heroine and that was expected males were secondary so at this time there is a little bit of a wave uh, around this time where, where we get female-led films but uh, the playing field is a little bit more even versus back in the day when sword play films were made with Cheng Pei Pei and so forth uh, uh, but but it's interesting that uh, it isn't uh, just uh, Angel 10 in disguise or anything you know no no I think it you know, it is a, a Girls With Guns film at heart, but it's got its own flavor, and, and it's more of this kind of dark, kind of noirish, you know, gangster, Hong Kong bloodshed, um, heroic bloodshed um, film, kind of at its core, but it has this Girls With Guns heart, I think, because um, the action, it's not this kind of fun, lighthearted, you know, cop drama or anything. It's quite dark, and I think, like you were saying earlier, I think... Uh, Johnny Wang takes time with both the action and the narrative and tries to, you know, cook something 
as a whole. Because they, because this doesn't happen ten minutes in, so we actually, you know, we're kind of uh, un- we understand that uh, this is uh, a stolen vehicle for for these guys uh, until the half hour mark, where it's not. Uh, which is nice, like like he he lulls us into a little bit of safe haven in a way, <laughs> and and then takes it out from us. Definitely, yeah. He, he tries to cook something whole with these with with these all these different ingredients and kind of you know have this this finished uh, product. And um, yeah, I mean sometimes he just lets the kind of narrative speak for itself and some of the dialogue. And I think a lot of the the ladies get a chance to shine in in both departments. I think um, Tian Tian Yu plays Aunt Nan. She has a lot of um, dramatic scenes and, and and a couple of monologues. As, as the head of the table, to um, you know, after all, uh, the men are gone. Yeah, so she kind of takes charge, and yeah, interesting backstory and a lot of different opportunities to emote. And um... yeah, we'll, uh, we'll 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 touch upon that in a little bit, actually, because I, I have that same note. Uh, uh, I I wanted to mention first that John Wang is teaming up with actor, writer, director Manfred Wong for this one who has many years of Hong Kong action cinema scripting behind him, you know, ranging from rich and famous. He also wrote the acclaimed youth drama Lonely 15 earlier in the decade and was a constant during the creation and production of the Young and Dangerous series and its spin-offs. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, somewhat recent, he wrote The White Storm for Benny Chan. And, yeah. And also Iceman the Time Traveler, so nobody's perfect. It's the second Iceman film that uh, took <laughs> years to come out. You know. He fell at the final hurdle. Lad. Like um, Iceman 3D is the masterpiece versus Iceman the Time Traveler. Uh, I've seen the first, and uh, when Exploding Feces is your sole highlight in the film, then your Donnie Yen movie has not done its thing, I suppose. <laughs> what a highlight to have, though. Yeah, I wish it was better than that, though. Um, initially, I was a little bit fearful because they, they sort of go through the entire family tree in the opening minute, setting up multiple characters. I thought, like, oh, whoa, am I going to be able to keep up with this? You are. But it seems a little bit fast-tracked. And, uh, but then it settles down, and obviously you, you see a little um, scene that actually takes place at the end of the film uh, chronologically with Elizabeth, Elizabeth Lee talking about uh, what she's caused. Which is interesting. They're not terribly clunky as um, directorial sort of a spark, narrative spark. Uh, then I wanted to touch upon the fact that because we don't see them for long uh, and h- how it's set up as a male-centric film that uh, that isn't after a while. Uh, so, it's, so it's kind of lovely to see Michael Chan engaged in fisticuffs rather than hen- oh. henchmen doing it for him. And he's yeah. brawling and that martial arts combo, combo of taking down punks is uh, nicely quick and direct. So I, I I love when Michael Chan is still doing action in films and not just being the head of the table, um, being a bit of a hothead. And that's I I, I thought that was wonderful to see actually because I, I enjoy that image. I know I enjoy that feel of uh, of the grand old tattooed veteran uh, beating the shit out of uh, little punks. Oh, for sure, man. He must be in his mid forties at this point. But that opening fight scene, like. <laughs> I don't want to say it's the the best one of the film because I don't want to take away from obviously what happens towards the back end, but it, it's really good in this little standalone segment and kind of makes me wish it it stuck around. <laughs> but we, we you know we get something different and and it goes in its own kind of unique, interesting 
way. But I'd like to allude to what you were saying a little bit about about the characters. I feel like it's got it suffers the same problem somewhat that the previous uh, Wang films have in that there's too many characters and not enough character. And I feel with this 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 film, I feel it a little less. But I think he's always very keen to cram in lots of different characters uh, and have a lot of different subplots going on uh, next to the kind of main narrative. I think it definitely works a bit a bit better because it's working as like in a kind of family dynamic and and he brings that to the table and obviously the narrative kind of goes hand in hand with with that family dynamic so it works kind of well it works better here at least yeah they talk about the um, emigration and resentful separations um coming home you know that uh, they they put that on the table that uh, characters uh, uh resent that uh, Others went away. Now they're back, and uh, the the elder of the family, the mother, uh, doesn't approve of uh, certain relationships. So there, there, there is some making up to do, and some standing up for yourself uh, looming. And as serious as that sounds, as uh, mother and daughter have these kind of um, discussions, they they do joke with each other as well. At one point, that one character says, so, "Well, at least I didn't marry a foreigner." <laughs> so there is that, you know. So I'm, 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 I'm at least, uh, I'm at least being respectful towards the family that way, even though I did, uh, did left. So I, I think it's solid handling and narrative direction. He isn't action anxious necessarily, which is a good thing, and because they're they're set up to deal with, and then he focuses attention on like Chen Yu and her daughter, which is uh, who thinks she's rebellious. And then Tian Yu shows shows her what she's about, uh, what she went through. She said, "I was a I was a mistress. I was a concubine." And like, look, look at you! You have a little flower tattoo on you. Well, check this out. And then Tian Yu reveals this shoulder piece because she has a history of uh, living this world, and she has a forty and sort of. Um, I was gonna use the word spunk. I don't like that word, but she has uh, like a, a, a grit about her. As uh, the uh, second eldest, in a way, after the elderly, elderly mother, she needs to have a little bit of authority in her. She's not this uh, lapdog of her man or anything, and especially not after all the men die. Yeah, definitely. She kind of steps up and I think um, kind of takes control uh, and has some very kind of strong moments th- throughout the film. I mean, they are they are strong because you aren't you aren't bored by Johnny Wang attempting uh and he's not attempting melodrama here he's uh he's uh, attempting narrative and it's not uh it, there, there are one or two moments where melodrama uh, is overplayed granted but i i thought those sit down moments between the women and this is pre the massacre at the opera were, were welcome it, it shows a director who uh who likes to uh make a little bit of a complete film even if it isn't uh, award-worthy or anything. But it isn't clunky. It isn't uh, embarrassing to see him try or anything. Speaking of that opera sequence where, where the massacre takes place uh, mainly and some of the massacre takes place uh, outside of it, uh, I thought there was some lovely tension at the opera. Because uh, all the men surrounding Sekin, they're suspicious of anyone approaching and then they hear a kind of beer opening and everyone goes... <gasps> And I I love that. So, so I have some more notes on that. But uh, what did you think of uh, the staging of uh, Johnny Wang's uh, creating tension and eventually violence? Yeah, I, I really liked it. I mean, it, it's kind of alluded to uh, in the fact that um, is it Elizabeth Lee's character, her husband, obviously 
doesn't want her there. So you kind of get a feeling that something's going to go down. Yeah, she, she's bringing she's bringing a, uh, she's bringing her husband home to meet her family. Is the is the setup this uh, this uh, young one? Yeah, and, and they're not there, and you kind of get this feeling that something's gonna it's gonna happen. And yeah, it's done really well. Like you say, a couple of moments where something happens that you think it's something bad, it's not something bad, um, and then it all kind of kicks off. And it's a really good scene, and then it kind of starts there and goes into the streets, and that's kind of where from that scene is where the real plot starts. I really like the gunplay in the opera theater. It's very direct and loud. There's some good uh, stunties uh, doing, uh, doing. You know, they're falling down amidst the seats. You know, from heights, uh, these uh, theater seats. So it doesn't look like a. Sp- it's hard to land smoothly because uh, those seats aren't spaced spaced out. You know what I mean? So yeah. there, there's going to be some. Uh, you you can pad yourself up to a degree, I suppose. But uh, there are some hard falls here that are very. Uh, very appealing, and uh, I, I was happy to, to to be patient for the first half hour. It wasn't difficult, but it really didn't uh, feel the need to uh, set its plot into motion until this a uh, third in, literally. And uh, again, works with tension well and violence well, and then the visual has changed. You know, the men aren't at the table anymore because the men are gone. And I, I think that that's the one of the strongest um, visual images in the film. The women has to assume the place at the table now, yeah. Because they, this family can't simply stop doing its thing; they're they're, they're hunted. And I, I I really thought the image of um, Chen Yu having to assume um, uh, not Sekin's uh, place uh, because uh, that's the role of the elder. Really, I think that was it. But uh, really, she is going to have to be the head of. Uh, of the family and uh, dictate action from this point. I just, I just love how quickly they all go to war. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's straight away. It's instant. It's not really this, this dramatic build-up or that kind of question. different frequencies of uh, grief. You know what I mean? It just, yeah, yeah. Where does uh, murder go on that on that list? <laughs> Is that somewhere near the back end? Uh, but, but yeah, he doesn't spend a lot of time talking. Uh, some of them. Throw themselves into action out of uh, out of grief. Uh, we haven't mentioned M- Michiko Nishiwaki is in this movie as well, oh, uh, yeah. who is uh, ready to assume this proactive role as a widow. So I think that's uh, they're, they're fueled by determination. Some of them more than others, like her, like Kara Hoy, which leads into the gym fight, I suppose, which uh, doesn't sound like a, well, it is a gangster film and a fight at a gym. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not Godfather classy necessarily, but. Uh, uh, I I kind of dug uh, Michiko going in there. In, uh, she she has this believable action ability, throwing a knife around, and uh, her 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 co-star, who's called Wong Ao, is a bit more timid, but she also goes for it. The, Johnny Wang has decent skills at uh, making untested performers uh, perform to a to a decently gritty and hard level. You know, they're not uh, soft, completely doubled performers. No, I, I completely agree. There's, there's obviously a bit of double in here and there but the actresses really go for it like all of them aren't nihilistic killing machines so it makes sense that uh, some of them go at it a little bit harder than others you know yeah completely yeah uh, but uh, so so I think Johnny is getting the heaviness of the fights correct and he goes a little bit bit kung fu fanciful with the fight at the gym I think they're, they're, they take a little bit too much flight and they are a little bit too acrobatic for my for my tastes within the context of this film you know yeah there's some quite intricate um 
like uh, stunt work uh, and, and a lot of kind of prop work as well and, and using the the kind of confines of the gym in a very effective way but yeah it, it, it it's it's good as i say i just think it's quite funny how they kind of set off straight away into action and and, and it just all of a sudden they, they begin murdering people but it's it, it, it kind of the narrative doesn't stop for a second it just keeps going keeps charging forward and a good balanced like remaining hour you'd say yeah for sure for sure you know, I, I kind of objected a little bit to the, the fanciful kung fu stuff earlier, but then when Kara Hoy kicks off and starts beating up all the security guards, I really found myself liking the kung fu angle a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm more infatuated with the performer in this case, uh, because who doesn't like Kara uh, Hoy from all those uh, Lao Galang films? <laughs> so. She's she's great. Her hair is lovely in this also, and it's not just because they can put you know an afro wig on a stuntman. It's definitely not because of that. <laughs> she chose to have her hair like that, and it's it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, everyone is doubled, and uh, so the moments when people need to assume uh, stunt uh, men, uh, because I don't think they had lines and lines of stunt women uh, ready here to uh, mm. to assume uh, to assume doubling. It can be a bit um, clunky. They're good at it. Um, all this doubling business, by the way, it it's one of my least favorite aspects of HD. <laughs> like <laughs> what, like watching writing wrongs on Blu-ray. I know there's a ton of doubling there. I noticed way, 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 way more doubling. It's skillfully done, but sometimes I don't want to see that much, to be honest. I don't want to <laughs> see Karen Shepard and Cynthia Rothrock continually double in a scene they perform very, very well in. Uh, also in righting wrongs but uh, yeah i mean it's it's got its it's got its charm still you know it is what it is i mean in, in one in one scene in in writing wrongs in between Cynthia rothrock and karen shepherd there she's uh, chasing Cynthia rothrock and they're uh, they're, they're like uh, construction like uh, uh, fences there so uh, they're jumping hurdles and that for um background uh, action where you see karen shepherd's character jump a hurdle is I've never spotted it before, and now I'm spot. I spotted that that's a double. <laughs> <laughs> like like yeah, she she wasn't that athletic to do uh, the 110 meters hurdle. Event. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's fun. I, I'm a realist when it comes to my action sequences. I know that you know the main uh, the performers can't do, can't do everything themselves. But, but you know, that's an example of yeah they're doing that well. They're putting that in the background, but then obviously writing wrongs does really poor doubling as well when there's not even a wig on uh, male performers uh, in Cynthia Rothrock's place. Like, uh, that was very evident on VCD. <laughs> on VCD. <laughs> but, but, but Cara Hoy uh, makes an impression here. The darkness, like the dark periods to like the endings of certain uh, violent scenes and one involves her. It's really haunting. There's a scene, I won't spoil it, but there's a scene where a character and, and well, well, yeah, her character, but it really isn't the end of the film for her. Her action ends on the streets and she hangs there over the railing, just limp and presumably gone. Really haunting images that I think he's really good at. He's good at pushing those dark buttons through all these yeah. years of working. 
that is not hard to stage. Just lie over the, the, the railing cara and we'll shoot that, boom, done. But when, when assembled, it looks really haunting that someone is just uh, limp that was moments earlier, 200% on in a killing machine. Well, that, that, that's what it is. I, th- I think the scene where she's in the hospital bed, I found quite quite difficult. It was quite quite sad, quite eerie, but also had that, that tension of whether she's going to say something or not and give give the game away give someone's identity away it, that that worked really well but it was still very kind of sad and, and haunting but i think you know johnny wang his films are made of those kind of dark gritty kind of moments um and there's plenty of them in here i mean this might be even you know ramped up to 11 um because there's quite a few of them throughout well speaking of that i mean he has us only been able to theorize I'm not sure 100% what bumped this to the category free classification where only persons of 18 years and older were able to attend. I mean, we have the shots of the VCD, which says category free, so presumably it was rated that in cinemas as well. It seemed for the most part like, uh, well, I say category 2B violence, category 2B, that sub rating didn't exist yet, but I think it would be reclassified as category 2B. But, but it seems like Category 2 violence, there's no nudity, there's no foul language seemingly, because Triad Films, if they had foul language, censored or not, that would bump the rating as well. But there is one big headshot, I'm not going to spoil who, uh, who is the recipient of that, which looks excellent and uh, no kind of as I've said in a prior show, kind of pornographically violent. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it I think because it's so up close and so in our face, I think I think violence pushed this to category three. That's my theory. Yeah, I think you might be right because there's nothing really else in the film that I think would would cause it to be rated category. But that for sure, man. And it's 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 a good way to end the film, or at least end the the action of the film. I mean, but, but by this point, there's a very satisfying stretch of hits on arrivals, you know, huge squibs, shotgun violence, mm. uh, the, the ladies go into action, and uh, Elizabeth Lee, of course, uh, among all the ladies, uh, adds to the fact that women get their moments in the film, you know, to, towards the back end, her, her determination and fearlessness as a character is on display, it looks fairly believable. The only issue I have with the action, it gets a little bit sloppy towards the end. Uh, the machine gun fire ending at the car scrapyard is very sloppy at points. Yes, it's loud and direct and bloody, but some of the performers, male and female, are just flailing their guns about to the point where it's a miracle they're hitting anything. <laughs> I feel like I feel like yeah. Do you know what? I've, I've incorrectly just said that, that headshot was the final bit of action, but because I, I completely forgot that that happens, that the actual finale happens in a scrapyard. Because I I think I feel the same. It's a bit forgettable. To be, I think the film was kind of already over, or at least part of the way over, and it seems a bit, I don't know, unnecessary. I mean, I mean it, it, it's prop guns, of course, and they're heavy. I'm sure there's a recoil in those that makes everyone flinch, you know, and and, and blink when you fire them. But it's looking a li- Remember that scene in Fantasy Mission Force where Jimmy Wang is driving a Jeep and holds one hand on his uh, mounted machine gun? 
and hits everyone as he drives and shoots at the same time. I was like, this is fantasy mission force levels here and not as awesome. <laughs> but I, I would say it rebounds nicely when it literally exchanges machine gun fire for like literally just guns. Because uh, obviously there, there is a villain here that the ladies need to take care of. So they put a period on that uh, plot beat. And I think it's a bit more precise that way in terms of its action di- direction when it's more focused on gunfire rather than machine gunfire. It, li- it literally makes a difference, I think, in the impact here. Yeah, I, th- I think you might be right. Yeah, I, I, it's a bit it's a bit harder to control, isn't it, with, with the machine gunfire and a bit, it can be a bit sloppier. And I think that's what, what happened here, sadly. I don't have any other notes other than a somewhat lengthy a note on music but um, I'll, I'll i'll tell that story because it has uh, some unlikely connections uh, uh, so i'll tell that story at the end so i'll, I'll throw it to you if you want to share anything else uh, from the film you, you can't hint in that hint at that and then say it's not oh, a great Tom, story try, but try it's a... say something more interesting than that i'm definitely not i want to hear this music story now well 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 here it is i don't pick up on needle drops essentially even if i seen a film several times i don't identify music like boom from that morricone Mm. movie or boom from that william friedkin movie or oh that's the tangerine dream soundtrack from this and this i'm I'm simply not good at that i don't have an ear for that but if i've been exposed enough to music then i can pick up on it quite quickly and and i did in this movie but it's not from another film where i recognize the music from so in one of the earlier scenes featuring Sek Kin and possibly Tian Yu or Elizabeth Lee, it's a little bit of a sit-down. They talk. I heard a very faint track in the background that I recognized immediately. But it's from a later entertainment product. It's not from a later film. And I, I'll, I'll explain the timeline thing. It's from a game. I'm a big fan of the early CD-ROM adventure game Labyrinth of Time which is essentially a point-and-click adventure with elements of Myst and the Seventh Guest. But a little bit more simple to get into. It was and still is not very acclaimed, but I love the surreal atmosphere of it that instantly switches timelines uh, on you. It's based on Greek mythology. So you're in that uh, uh, Manos-built labyrinth. But throughout the game, and this is how CD-ROM technology played into it, there's a 30-minute selection of music... uh, play that that's looped throughout but it's it greatly adds to the atmosphere it wasn't composed music for the game because they, this game came out came out after widow warriors but it's library music from something called the apm music library and the track pastoral colors credited to keith mansfield is playing underneath this uh Sekin, uh dialogue scene with elizabeth lee and it's kind of ingrained in me, that music, because I've played the game many, many times throughout the years. So clearly that music library existed in 1990. That track was in the APM music library, slash they might have swiped it from a film that tapped the, AP, that, that tapped the APM music library. You know what I mean? I don't know which film, though. That is impressive, Ken. Mm. Very so, impressive. So, so yeah, the, that um, I'll link to it. And if you recognize from what uh, actual like 1989 action film or whatever that uh, music is from, then, then that's where, where the Widow Warriors makers heard it. And then the persons who made the game in 1993 obviously had access to the same music library and picked this particular song, Pastoral Colors. Uh, it's an instrumental, but... Uh, 
and it was faint. It wasn't like a dominative a scene. And I was like, I, guess I didn't really pick up on anything to be honest. And normally Johnny Wang's films I've got really cool, you know, kind of cheap little synth soundtracks, which I I really dig. But I didn't really pick up anything on this one. So it's it's interesting that you. You managed to yeah, find that, it's, man. It's ingrained, and I've uh, nice. I got it back in 1993. I replayed it a couple of times. Uh, it was one of the first apps I downloaded to my iPhone because it was available for iOS. But now it's on like <laughs> Steam and uh, good old <laughs> games and uh, and things like that. So they they've uh, they've updated it to be able so you can run it on modern machines. It's not a demanding game, but it was made for 90s PCs. It's. A, I've always been a fan of it, and it's an atmosphere. It's a really haunting selection of songs from the library. So there, 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 there wasn't good like, good like uh, cuts to uh, in that library. And so someone put up, put put up the soundtrack on YouTube, and therefore all the ID, uh, the, the artist and song IDs were finally in place. So 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 one can so because YouTube works that way. Obviously, YouTube recognizes and can connect yeah. like tags. With things, so um, I'd love to know how that was, you know, how they came across that and decided to put it in the film. Very interesting. Yeah, I, my 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 money is on that they heard it in a movie from one or two years earlier, mm. uh, because the track was presumably com- composed like some sometime in the nineties, uh, uh, sometime in the eighties. Let's um, let's uh, end this um, discussion on quite a fairly satisfying um, "Widows with Guns." film if you uh, if you wanted it then then it's uh, then it's there for the taking in a way as for availability it had a short run in cinemas as we said but seemingly only had a limited life on home video uh, maya did the subtitle vcd and laserdisc uh, the former was cropped uh, the ld was let letterboxed and that's all she wrote it is on youtube which is the vcd rip uh, there are also hd clips of it so obviously it's sitting somewhere in upgraded form and hopefully can be reissued at full length though because unlike the 20 minutes shorter hd version of bloody brotherhood uh, that's on youtube you know my fear is that some of these movies won't be complete i mean i i can survive a violent cut or two but not a 20 minute deduction from the running time like bloody brotherhood seemingly um, suffered from in hd but there is a late-breaking edit to all of this. French label Spectrum will release Widow Warriors on Blu-ray, and uh, at, at the time of recording, uh, that will happen. It will come to Blu-ray. No English subtitles will be included. But uh, if you don't need them, then uh, Widow Warriors will be firmly available in Region B land, presumably. Um, that's that's brilliant. That's brilliant. But certainly, if you're not uh, anti-laserdisc or anything, obviously, it's a fine viewing experience. Uh, if you can get it that way. So uh, so that's what we did. And that's all she wrote for this discussion. Next episode will contain. It might be the film that people have watched the most. Not because of the Johnny Wang connection. But the Jackie Chan connection. I think you might be right. Angry Ranger was a film that uh, credits Jackie Chan's stuntman association with the action. Jackie was the producer. But I, I'm making another bet here. I don't think Jackie was uh, continually overseeing the action. I have a feeling this was a combination of his trusted uh, stunt uh, men and uh, stunt, yeah. st- stunt directors and so forth. Um, I might be wrong, but I have a feeling Jackie wasn't uh, the man calling the shots from beginning to end of the production of Angry Ranger. <laughs> I think so too, mate. Yeah. 
uh, it's one of my earlier watches because of that rumor that oh it's, it's Jackie Chan action but it's harder uh, so Johnny Wang and Jackie Chan meet and that's what uh, that's the transformation in, in a way into angry ranger it doesn't feel like oh yeah the characters are now juggling lamps because they can you know it's not uh, it really is a nice meeting of creative minds in my opinion uh, uh, but yeah so this is the end of the widow warriors episode thank you for sticking around the director series will be back and for all your podcast and fire network needs including our back catalog of uh, director series on other directors and johnny wang you can find that on podcastonfire.com and uh, email us podcastonfire at googlemail.com if you feel like sharing some uh, feedback, join the discussion over at the discussion group and uh, check us out on all our other socials, Twitter and Instagram. So that's my plug out of the way. Let's, uh, if you feel like uh, having a brewski with uh, a couple of per- persons having brewskis, then you can turn to the log logs. Do I need to say more? That, that was that was perfect, Ken. Well, um, well, let them know where you can find, uh, where they can find you. Yeah, please come and join in. Uh, on the phone uh, at the log logs on Instagram um, and over on the YouTube, you can find us at the log logs. Well, uh, check out all the fun over at log logs, and uh, we'll be back to discuss Angry Ranger at a later point. And I think that that's all she wrote after that. In terms of well, well we got the Escape from Brothel after that, we're gonna redo that. It's in the This Week in Sleaze archives, but um, that wasn't me and Tom discussing that uh, film, so uh, we're gonna do uh, Escape from Brothel under the director series banner as well uh, probably a film that people know a scene from but might have might not have seen the entire film or if they have seen it likely a very censored version uh, so so if you have seen a nude fight in escape of brothel you've probably seen close to an uncut version if you haven't seen the nude fight in escape from brothel but have seen escape from brothel then you saw a heavily cut version because I, I, I don't believe it's in there at all. <laughs> it's just gone. Nope. Disappeared, evaporated. And obviously stay tuned for our uh, one-off feature-length episode on Kung Fu from Latin Dance from 2003. If you can find uh, it, then It's sure, going to be a good time, guys. He did direct another film, yes. But uh, I'm not sure we can find it. Uh, I'd, rather, I'd rather end on the rather brutal note that is Escape from Brothel. As goofy as it sounds, uh, it's Johnny Wang through and through, though. I've been Kenny B, and with me was Tom KW for this uh, recording of uh, Widow Warriors from Johnny Wang. Hope you enjoyed it. So that's me signing off, and Tom is going to say something humorously right now. Uh, thanks for having me. He's very, he's, very, he's very thankful. That's good. Been a pleasure and an honor to be in your presence for, for this long, Ken. And Thank you. And cheers. And thanks for tuning, guys. We really appreciate that. It's good, good for my ego. You know, I, I quite, uh, it's a real lack of self-esteem on, on my part. And, and just knowing there's at least two or three of you listening, it, it, it works wonders for me. Oh. <laughs> Sad as ending. <laughs> Sorry for, you're, you're, uh, you're, you're like the mask during the awards now. speech. You're like, mask, you really <laughs> love me. You love me.